This is Pastor Ryan Clark from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. You are listening to the audio of the current sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come. Thanks for joining us. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praises in the name of Jesus. Amen. They called it the wedding of the century. Who here remembers when Princess Diana married Prince Charles in 1981? Now be honest, who here watched it on TV in 1981? Take a guess. How many people do you think tuned in worldwide to watch this royal wedding in 1981? Throw some numbers out at me here. Any good guesses? I'm sure there's a lot of good ones out there. There were 750 million viewers for this royal wedding. That's approximately 1.5 billion eyeballs staring at him, according to my calculations. And this is in 1981, right? Fewer people in the world and far, far fewer TVs. And yet people really wanted to be a part of this royal wedding. In fact, many people said they were blessed to simply watch it on TV. Now, the most blessed people of all, of course, were the very, very select few, the 120 people that were invited to participate in both the royal wedding ceremony and the reception. For them, they got to take part in a place in an event in full that cost approximately, inflation adjusted here, $135 million to put on. That's over a million dollars spent per guest. Quite the price tag. They got to watch Princess Diana walk by in person in a dress that cost $449,000. They got to experience a menu that was put together and made by some of the finest chefs in all the land. The main dish was something called Supreme de Valais Princesse de Gaillet, which is, of course, chicken breast stuffed with lamb mousse wrapped in brioche and garnished with asparagus tips and Madeira sauce. Whew. I'm not quite sure what all that is, but I'm 100% sure that I'd be eating it. And I'd be washing it down with a slice of one of each of those 27 wedding cakes that were baked just for this occasion, the main event of which was a five-foot-tall, it's about right here, unfortunately, 200-pound fruitcake. That's over a pound of cake per guest. And that's before you even begin to sample those other 26 wedding cakes that are present. And that's only if you had room left after eating all of the Supreme de Valais Princesse de Gaillet that you could eat. And oh, by the way, this whole event took place at the quaint accommodations of Buckingham Palace. And throughout the afternoon and evening, people were entertained by one of the finest bands in all of the world, the Philharmonic Orchestra. Not a bad afternoon, right? In fact, I would say there are not too many logical reasons to decline an invite to a royal wedding like this one. Probably pretty obvious where this is headed, especially if you were paying attention when the gospel was read earlier today. Because in our gospel, we heard Jesus tell a story, a parable, the parable of the royal wedding banquet. And in this story, we hear about a king who is throwing a royal wedding for his son. The king is pulling out all of the stops. There's not a lot of logical reasons to decline this particular invite. And yet, apparently, many, many people do. 
It's a parable we're going to study in depth as we continue our sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come, where we are learning to live under Christ Jesus as our King. And apparently there are many, many benefits that we receive from living under Christ as our King, as long as we don't decline this particular royal wedding invitation. Let's dig into that parable right now. It begins in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And this is a royal wedding, right? This is going to be extremely lavish. And we are pretty well used to lavish weddings here in America. The average American wedding in 2022 cost $34,000 to throw. But we've actually got nothing on ancient Jewish weddings. Get this. They would have laughed at our quaint one-day wedding affairs. For them, a wedding was a five to seven day event. Five days if you were poor, seven days if you were wealthy. And in Matthew 22, this would have been an absolute seven-dayer. The whole thing would have been hosted and thrown by the groom's family. They were on hook for everything. They would have provided the food, the lodging. People needed a place to stay for seven days, right? They would usually stay at the groom's parents' house. They provided the entertainment. They even provided, and this is an ancient Jewish tradition here, a special wedding garment that would have identified you as someone who belonged at that wedding. And so if we understand, right, this is a royal wedding, which means essentially what is going on in our passage today is the king is inviting people to a seven-day, all-expenses-paid vacation at a palace where he is going to provide the finest food drink, entertainment, and even those wedding clothes that a king could offer. Not a lot of logical reasons to decline this invite, and yet many, many, many people do. As the parable continues, it says the king sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. So what is going on here? What is the point that Jesus is making? He's making a point, right? This is, after all, a parable. And you good and well know at this point in the sermon series that a parable is a short story that Jesus would tell, a teaching device with earthly examples that were making a heavenly point. And to understand that heavenly point, you've got to understand those earthly examples and what they truly represent. And once again, in this case, it's pretty obvious what those earthly examples represent. That king That's God himself, and the people are those he has invited to have a relationship with him. And just like there's no logical reason to decline an invite to a royal wedding, a seven-day all-expenses-paid vacation at a palace, there's there's no logical reasons to decline a relationship with God, especially considering all the benefits that we receive through that relationship. Simply through spending time with God, we get things that the world absolutely longs for and don't get. We get his peace, love, joy, wisdom, guidance, encouragement, salvation, that's life eternal, and much, much more. There's no reason to decline these kind of things, and yet many, many people do. And they do so actually with some of the lamest excuses. As the story continues, the king says, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. They're just a little too busy at work right now to come to this royal wedding. If they could just 
postpone it a little bit, then maybe they could make it. In a very similar parable, we see even lamer excuses, in my opinion, the parable of the royal banquet in Luke 14. People decline this invitation because they have just bought a field and must go and see it. Another says, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on the way way to try them out. Sorry, I can't come right now. Another says, I just got married. I can't make lame excuses, right? And the point that Jesus is illustrating right here is that any excuse we make to not have a relationship with God is a bad one. But if we're being honest with ourselves, if we look in the mirror, let's face it, sometimes we make lame excuses to not spend time with God too. Has anyone ever made a lame excuse to skip their morning quiet time with God or to skip their prayer time with God? I know I have. I think we do it all the times. Sometimes we say things like, God, I can't spend time with you right now because there's just not enough hours in the day. Or maybe you had trouble falling asleep the night before and you just didn't get enough of your beauty rest and you say, I can't spend time with you right now, God, because I need all the sleep I can get just to function. I'll spend time with you tomorrow when I'm a little better rested. I can't spend time with you right now because things are too busy at work or too busy with the kids. All very, very lame excuses to not spend time with God, especially considering the many, many benefits that you get through that relationship. But worse yet are the people who totally decline a relationship with him. To them, the king says, fine, if you don't want to come to my son's royal wedding, I'll find people who will. And that's actually how the first part of our parable ends today. It says, then the king said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. There's a lot we could talk about in these three verses. There's a lot we could unpack. But for simplicity's sake, let's just focus on this one line here because it reveals to us a pretty incredible and beautiful truth about God and what he longs for, for you. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the king is essentially going out and sending his servants to the street and dragging people off at any and anyone who are willing to come to this wedding. If he is doing that, it means he's inviting any and everyone, doesn't it? And what does that show us about what God does for you, for me? It shows us our very important point of the day. Everyone is invited to have a relationship with God. No one deserves it, but everyone has received this invitation to this royal wedding. This is not like that wedding we talked about at the start. There are not 120 select few. It's not the best of the best. Everyone is invited to have a relationship with God. And we could stop right there with this sermon, actually. Say for one thing, we haven't talked about Jesus yet, and he is pretty critical to unlocking what this whole story is all about. And he's who these last three verses are all about. It says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? 
The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, a simple dress code violation not only got this guy kicked out, it got him tied up and thrown out into the darkness. What's that all about? Is a dress code really that important? Is it really that important for a royal wedding? Well, apparently, it is, right? Because Jesus himself is telling this story. And throughout history, dress codes for royal weddings have been very, very important. Like that royal wedding we talked about at the start of the service, they had an extremely strict dress code. And if you didn't follow it, you'd get the boot. For men, you had to wear a morning coat, waistcoat, tie, and striped trousers. I at least know what a tie is, and if I ever get invited to a royal wedding, I hope my wife will dress me in all the rest of those things up there. For women, the dress code, even stricter, they had to wear a hat. And this hat, it's the centerpiece of the entire outfit. I found a couple examples of royal wedding hats there, and they're quite something. And you would start out by purchasing this hat, and you'd match the rest of your outfit to it. And the rest of that outfit better be a dress that covers both the shoulders and the knees. And for obvious reasons, it can't be cream or white. And oh, by the way, ladies, you can't wear wedges. So if you ever get invited to a royal wedding, don't wear those, whatever they are. Now, thanks be to God, the dress code for this royal wedding in Matthew 22 is a lot simpler. It's equally as strict. In fact, it is very, very strict. But it's a lot simpler than all of this. The dress code was simply this. To wear the clothes the king provided. Remember, Jewish tradition here, they provided a nice set of wedding clothes for every single guest. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves then is this. What are the wedding clothes that God has provided for you to have a relationship with him. What makes that relationship possible? And the answer is pretty straightforward, much like most of this parable. Those wedding clothes are provided for you through his son, Jesus. In fact, Jesus' perfect life and death on the cross was all about making sure you got these wedding clothes, quite the price to pay for you to be able to attend this royal wedding. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that righteousness that makes it so you can stand before God, that makes it so you can be a part of this royal wedding, it's symbolized throughout scripture as an article of clothing. It's called the robe of righteousness. In fact, if you have received what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you can quote the words here of Isaiah 61.10. You can say, for God has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. It's that robe that makes you fit for a king. It's that robe that makes it so you can stand before God at this royal wedding banquet. And the way you put it on, it's pretty simple. You put it on by realizing that you are a sinner and that you need a savior, and that that savior is Jesus. 
For those who have done that, for those who believe and are baptized, you are wearing that robe of righteousness. You're fit for a king and you get to have a relationship with God. But there is no other way to have that relationship. Jesus is very clear. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. And yet, and yet, apparently, sometimes there's a little confusion. That guy who wasn't wearing wedding clothes, the guy who got the boot out of that royal wedding reception, he represents somebody who thinks his good works are good enough to stand before the king. He is someone who has rejected those royal robes, that robe of righteousness, and is wearing the own clothes that he brought to that wedding. Those good works, they're not good enough. In fact, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so this guy not only rejected the king's royal clothes, that robe of righteousness, he is standing before the king saying, don't I look good enough? And he's wearing filthy rags. That's not going to cut it at a royal wedding banquet. The only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus and receiving his robe of righteousness. It's that simple. Don't overcomplicate it. And in fact, don't overcomplicate this parable. It's very straightforward. Two main takeaways here. God wants you to enjoy the royal wedding celebration. So much of what we've talked about here in this sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come, is the work that we are to do as subjects under Jesus in God's kingdom. That is so much of what we've talked about. And part of that work is enjoying that relationship with God, enjoying that celebration, and that should not even really be work at all. Meet him in his word. Meet him in prayer. Meet him in worship. Meet him in the Lord's Supper like we're about to do. Experience a foretaste of that incredible feast that is to come and enjoy all of these many benefits. God wants you to enjoy these things. He wants to lavish them on you. Don't leave them on the table with lame excuses. God wants you to enjoy the celebration. And the way you enjoy that celebration is by receiving his invitation. No, by the way, everyone is invited to have a relationship with God and you receive that invitation through receiving his son, Jesus, his sacrifice, and wearing that incredible robe of righteousness that he wants to drape over you. My prayer for you this week is simply this. May you do these things. May you receive Jesus, receive this invitation, and celebrate the good times with your heavenly Father in his kingdom. May you do so in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. If you would like more information about St. John's and any of our ministries to our community and beyond, you can go to our website, www.stjohnsbuffalo.org. Thank you and God bless you.